Let's get the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. All right, we're in Daniel chapter 7. And last time we reached down to verse number 8. And uh, today we're only, I'll be surprised actually if we get through verses 9 and 10. I, I'll be happy if we get halfway through verse 10. There's a lot, a lot to be said here. So we'll see how far we can go. Keep your Bibles handy though. Uh, we're going to do quite a bit of turning here and there and studying deep, searching the scriptures this morning. So last time in verses 1 to 8, what we looked at was Daniel's vision that was given to him about these kingdoms. And it had Babylon, followed by Media Persia, then Greece, and then you had Rome that was represented as that terrible beast in verses 7 and 8. That Roman Empire, it takes a hiatus, if you will, for a little while. And in the end times, it springs back up, and that gets into the horns, the ten horns that were on the head. I'm just laying that groundwork for you so that you understand the first part of verse 9. Daniel says here, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, right? The thrones, plural, referring to the empires of the world that he's been telling us about. When Jesus comes back, you understand the one world government of the Antichrist has other kings that are working underneath him, right? So there, there, it's not as if there's just one ruler and everybody else is a citizen. The Antichrist is the ruler, the chief guy, but then he has other kings, working under him. But when Jesus comes back, that government of the Antichrist is now gone. It's, it's thrown down and Jesus will establish his government with his people placed into, peop, uh, into uh, positions of authority. So Daniel is seeing this now. He is seeing the transition from what we would call the battle of the Armageddon, the end of the tribulation time, into what we call the kingdom age or the millennium. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool, referring to the color white. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. This ancient of days can be none other but the father. Now we know it's the father because if you come down to verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days. So there you have the father and the son. So picture, if you will, in your mind, Jesus has come back. He's fought the battle of Armageddon. He has tread the wine press. He has stomped out the enemy. And now it is time for him to be inaugurated as king of kings and Lord of lords. It is time for him to take his rightful place on the throne of his earthly father, David. But much like you would expect, all living relatives show up for this special day of his inauguration. Well, his father is a living relative, yes? <laughs> who, will, who has no beginning and no end. So the father makes an appearance at the beginning of that millennium. He actually shows up. And I'm going to show you some verses in just a moment from the book of Ezekiel of, of what that might look like. All right, Down to the throne and those wheels of burning fire, all of that, I'm going to show you some verses for. But before we get to that, well, hold your place in Daniel. Let's get Matthew chapter 25. And let me show you what happens just after the inauguration of Jesus as the King of Kings on this earth. Matthew chapter 25 and get verse 31. 
Do you guys remember this in Matthew 24? Now, forgive me if we move a bit quick. I'm, I'm not going to try to race ahead of you here, but a lot to cover. Remember Matthew chapter 24, the disciples came to Jesus and said, what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Right? And Jesus gives us all of Matthew chapter 24 is an answer as to what the end times are going to look like. And then he describes what we call the battle of Armageddon, him coming back as a, you know, a flash of lightning. It's very quick and so forth in this massive destruction. Matthew chapter 25 gives a, starts off with a parable about people that are living in the end times, those 10 virgins. That is not referring to us now. We will be gone by that time. But people living in that, in that seven-year period of tribulation, they have to stay ready for Jesus to come back. And if they don't endure unto the end, they might end up lost. Now that takes us all the way to this portion here, Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Do you see the second coming there? When he comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him. That doesn't happen at the rapture. All the holy angels come when Jesus comes all the way back down to the earth. At the rapture, Jesus only comes to the clouds and catches us up to meet him in the air. So this is a separate event. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. Now I'm going to ask you to put that, that phrase in the back of your mind, because in Daniel 7, we, we get a little more information about all these nations, especially the quantity of them. But for now, let's keep moving. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. So it, you, now if you have the picture in your mind, the ancient of days, the father with that fiery throne and the wheels, he is there. And Jesus is now separating the sheep from the goats. Come, ye blessed of my father. The father's just there to witness this. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So God has had this plan that at a certain point his kingdom would be established on the earth and his son would reign over it. Verse 35, for I was in hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger to fed thee, thirsty gave thee drink? When saw thee we a stranger took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Verse 39, when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. If somebody is living during this disastrous time of the tribulation and they are sympathetic not only to Christ's brethren, physical and spiritual, right? His, his physical brethren are Jewish people, but his spiritual brethren are fellow believers. Why would they be sympathetic towards these brethren? Because they themselves are also sympathetic to Christ. They are believers in Christ. As, and to, I want to say to a certain extent, they may not know him as deep as they should, but they know that Jesus is the true Christ. And therefore they are willing to help anybody connected to Jesus, right? So we have that in mind. Now, verse 40, 41, then shall he say also to them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Right? Now keep that in your mind, because in Daniel 7, we're going to read about that everlasting fire. I'm going to show you several verses this morning 
Lord willing, about that. Prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, you gave me no meat. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. This teaches us something about the faith of Christ. You don't get to pick and choose how much you want to obey. When you say, Lord, I believe in you, I'm following you, I'm trusting you, then that, that comes, what comes with that is his whole family. Well, I'll take the Lord and leave out the brethren. Oh, be careful now. Because we're all members of the same body, right? We're brothers and sisters. So, so by, by treating a brother or sister incorrectly or improperly, then remember that's a member of Christ. And, and you are also affecting him and, and hurting him. So Jesus says in verse number 46, or the Bible says it here, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now be careful. Because what you just have here is a description of a judgment, but it is not the final judgment. All right, bear this in mind. You have the rapture is going to take place. We're speaking prophetically now. Rapture is going to take place. Then seven years of tribulation time. We're going to learn this in Daniel 9, by the way. Then Jesus comes back down to the earth. We come with him. We fight the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus will be inaugurated and sit upon the throne of his father David, the throne of his glory, verse 31. And at that point, something happens called the judgment of the nations. That's what we've just read. The survivors of that tribulation time are gathered in front of him. And Jesus judges to determine who amongst those survivors gets to enter the kingdom and who amongst those survivors have to go into everlasting fire. So please understand the context with which we are reading this this morning. We're not talking about people that are living right now in what we know as the church age. This is not pre-rapture. This is after the rapture. What must a person do that is living in that tribulation time to enter the kingdom? They have to believe on Christ and they have to follow through and live out their faith. Or else when Jesus comes, they could be cut off. All right, now, with that being said, I want you to hold Matthew 25 and get John 17 because what we've just read is that the wicked, the goats, will go into everlasting punishment. But it says the righteous will go into life eternal. And I want to be very careful how I teach this this morning. Did you know that there is a difference between eternal life and immortality? Those are not the same thing. They, they do go together, but they are not the same things. Does that make sense? They, they can walk arm in arm, but they're not together. Or they're not the same thing. So eternal life, I'll show you now in John 17, verse 3, it is much more than just you existing forever. That's how a lot of people read it, but that's not what eternal life is. Immortality is a condition in which you cannot die. Right? So right now, I have a mortal body. I am able to die. But if the trumpet were to sound just now, one of these days I'm going to get it right. One, just now, now, now. If it were to happen just now, then I would have a new body, a glorified body that could never fade away. It could never corrupt. It could never die. I would be clothed with immortality, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15. All right, so immortality, that's a wonderful feature 
of our salvation is that we are promised that immortal body, but that's different than eternal life. Today, I do not have immortality. Not right now, because I can die. But right now, today, I do have eternal life. Right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have to wait until I die to start my eternal life. Right now, I am connected to an eternal life source. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Because I'm joined to him, I have eternal life through him. Now, watch what eternal life is here in John 17, 3. Jesus said, and this is life eternal that they might live forever in a physical body. That's not what it says. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So eternal life, if, if we can put it in a, maybe a, a phrase that is a little more common to us in these days, is a proper relationship with God, right? And that's, that's why I told you back in Matthew 25 that they know Jesus to a, cer to a certain extent, but once he comes back, he's seated upon the throne, they will enter into the kingdom, yes, but at the same time, he says, you're entering into life eternal. Why? Now you're going to know me for real. You're going to know me deep, not just this surface level stuff, not just the milk of the word. We're going to take you deep and they're going to know him in a way that they, listen, they missed the rapture. Any, any believer at that time is going to be a newish believer. <laughs> you talk about growing your faith, <laughs> your faith will be sight sitting right there on the throne. So they're going to know him in a very deep way. All right, now come back to the book of Daniel. So I've, I've run you through Matthew 25 quickly, and, and guys, I, I'm, I'm aware of how quickly we went through that. I, I'm sure there might be a question or two, and we'll eventually circle back to that passage, but Daniel 7 and verse 9 again. So the ancients of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like the pure wool. I had a, some guys years and years ago when I was just freshly saved, I gave them a gospel tracts, three or four black guys in America, there in Texas. I gave some tracks. I said, guys, do you know the Lord? And they start talking with me about the Lord. And they said, hey, man, you know, Jesus, Jesus was a black man. I said, he was. <laughs> he was. I didn't know that. He said, yeah, man, Jesus is a black man. I said, how do you know he's a black man? It says, well, there in the Bible, it says that his hair is like the pure wool. He said, feel my hair, feel like wool. <laughs> I, said, I said, wait just a second. That has nothing to do with the feel of your hair. <laughs> That has to do with the color of it, all right? So now, now bear in mind, God is a spirit. So God, when he chooses to manifest himself, he, he can take on the shape of a man, right? So this is the form of God. And as, as he sits upon his heavenly throne, this is the shape and form that he takes, all right? And then it says, his throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire, all right, so let's take a few minutes here. Come to the book of Ezekiel. You can hold Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 1. And uh, we're going to go lecker deep now. Ezekiel 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 13. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 13. Ezekiel is um, seen what we know as cherubim. Right? So one creature, one living creature has four faces, multiple wings, 
and then it has wheels by them. And we're going to have a description of this. And this is why I say this is, this is some deep stuff. This is not something you see every day. And we don't see it very often in the Bible either. So we'll do our best. Verse number 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. What does that mean? They glowed. They glowed. They emanated not just heat but light coming out of them. So they glowed a bit. And like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. It, it, have you guys ever seen a lava lamp? And it kind of moves up and down slow. Have you ever seen those, I don't know, what, what do you call them? Those static electricity balls where you can touch it and the, and the little lightning will go and kind of chase your finger. What's it called? Plasma lamp. Is, is that what it's called? I just call it a sparkle lamp, but <laughs> you're touching. Okay, that, that's coming out of their bodies. So this, you can see that, that fire moving up and down in them, and then also it just kind of projects here and there, little, lightning, little bolts of lightning coming here and there. Verse 14, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Zoom, zoom. I won't get into it, but if you're a superhero comic book nut, there's the flash right there, you know, with a little lightning bolt on his chest. But anyway, they, they, they get it all from the Bible. <laughs> Verse 15, now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. So now you got this cherubim, four faces, the face of a lion, the face of, a, of, a, of an ox, the face of a man, the face of an eagle. And there's a wheel by him. Now, I don't know. Is it on the right hand, left hand, underneath him? I'm not sure. Don't know. Say, so what's the wheel look like? It looks like a wheel. <laughs> within a wheel. That's what it is. It's a wheel within a wheel. Say, so what does that look like? A wheel within a wheel. I don't know. You, <laughs> you have an imagination. Use it. <laughs> My imagination is this. It, have you ever seen a hovercraft? Right? And, and, and that thing and then it lifts that thing off the ground. I, I kind of think that it's that wheel moving within the wheel, something like that. Let's keep going. Verse 16, the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel. A barrel actually comes in several different colors, but the true, the purest form of barrel is colorless. That is to say it is translucent, right? It doesn't have any actual color, but whatever light is pushing through it, it will adapt to that color. And they four had one likeness. Their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Don't you wish the Bible came with pictures? Wouldn't that be nice if, if God drew a little picture in the margin to go, that's what that you know, looks like. That'd be great. Verse 17, when they went, they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went. So as the cherubims move, they don't have to turn their bodies like that. As they move, those four cherubims, they just... The whole time are facing one way, but the wheel takes them wherever they need to go. And because there are four cherubims with four faces, they're seeing the whole show the whole time. They, they don't need to scan the room like, like we do on a Sunday here like this. They, they can see the whole thing. Verse 18, as for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them four. So the wheel within a wheel has eyes... Um, say dotted around it almost makes it sound like little windows so you see little windows on the side oh, I don't know. <laughs> maybe 
You use your imagination. Verse 19, and when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So there's a connection. As soon as the living creature thought or felt like going this way, that way, the wheel automatically knew to follow along and to carry them to whatever destination they wanted. Why? They, the spirit of the creature was in the wheel. There's actually some good preaching in that. Because the Spirit of our God is within us. So as soon as the Holy Spirit feels like going this way, we should just automatically go that way. Because the Spirit of our Father lives in us. Verse 21, when those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them. For the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Verse 22, in the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of the terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. Again, trans, translucent at least, if not transparent. Verse 23, and under the firmament were their wings straight, the one toward the other. Every one had two which covered on this side. Every one had two which covered on that side their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of great waters. Kind of like a helicopter, but a lot stronger. You know, that, that, that kind of rushing sound. As the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of an host, which they, uh, when they stood, they let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. So these cherubims, as they move about, their wings are flapping or moving, but they're also above them. They are transporting this platform that carries the throne of God. I'm giving you the biblical picture of what Ezekiel saw, but I'm fairly certain that what we're reading in Daniel 7, that is what's going to come down at the beginning of the millennium for that inaugural ball, if you will, to put Jesus on the throne. Verse 26, and above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne. That's what we're getting in Daniel 7. Uh, yeah, Daniel 7. As the appearance of a sapphire stone. That often has the appearance of fire, by the way. That sapphire stone looks reddish-orange. And, uh, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. Now, you see how it says the likeness of a throne? Either that throne is some sort of... I, I almost want to say, because of what we read in Daniel 7, there's a fire moving up and down in the throne. It's some sort of see-through, transparent throne, so you can see the spirit of... The one sitting on it is somehow in that throne. Or the throne itself is made of fire. Maybe something like that. You say, well, that, that's a bit strange. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Maybe, maybe. Hey, guys, don't worry. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, then we'll know like this right after the rapture, you'll know how wrong I was, and I won't be disappointed at all. <laughs> that's just fine. Verse uh, 26, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. That's the shape God takes. Verse 27, and I saw as the color of amber. Does everybody know the color of amber? Amber is, everybody sees it every day on a robot. You have red and green, that, that color in the middle. That's not yellow, that's amber, right? So you can tell the, the traffic cop, no, 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 the, the light was amber. And see what he says. No, I went through because it was amber. <laughs> I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, 
And from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. So God's body, you can see through it. And you can see that fire moving up and down in that body. Now, how transparent or lucent it is, I'm not sure, but you can see that fire moving up and down in him. Verse 28, as the appearance of the bow that was in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. So it, it produced that semicircle type atmosphere type of appearance this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord when i saw it i fell upon my face and i heard a voice of one that spake so i've given you all of that to show you that there is something else in the scripture that will help us kind of paint the picture the guys only <clears throat> only him showing up will help us to fully understand what we've just read okay so come back to daniel 7 and verse number 9 at the end of it his throne was like the fiery flame so do you see why I say there's a couple possibilities? If it's like the fiery flame, perhaps the fire is moving up and down in it, or perhaps it is just fire. Then it also says his wheels as burning fire. So is it the same wheels that are under those cherubim, perhaps? Or does the throne itself have that hovercraft type capability? I, we'll find out one day. Verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. So there's most definitely a judgment taking place at this time. But also, if you've, if you've uh, been with us for our discipleship class, you know that there are seven different judgments in the Bible, not just one at the end of time. And this is not the, the final judgment. In the Bible, that's called the great white throne judgment. And it is a bit similar in that God sits upon his throne and books are open and people will be judged. But this judgment, we know by the context when it's going to happen. And if you need for the context, look at verse 11. I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. We know precisely when the Antichrist will be cast into his final doom. That happens right after Jesus comes back at the beginning of the millennium. So we know the timing of this passage. <clears throat> All right, now verse 10, sorry. It says at the beginning of verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. So as God's throne comes down and he places and situates himself there for the judgment of the nations, a fiery stream issues out. Now, does his throne produce the fiery flame? Or does he simply place himself where that fiery flame is issuing out? It could be either one, to be honest with you. But let's get quite a few verses on this. Hold your place here if you'd like, but get Revelation 19. And uh, we're going to do some proper Bible study here for a few moments. Revelation 19, verse 20. I'm going to give you lots of verses on this subject. Revelation 19. Just let your eyes work quickly down. Verse 15, there's Jesus coming back. Verse 16, the King of kings, Lord of lords. 17, 18, 19, God calls the birds of the air to, they're, they're waste management. That's what they are. They're, they're the cleanup crew. Come, come and take care of the dead bodies. Verse 20, and the beast was taken. That's another name for the Antichrist. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image, these both, that's the Antichrist and the false prophet, 
these both were cast alive into, what's the next, not just word, but letter, <clears throat> a lake of fire. Not the lake of fire. They were cast into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. All right, so when Jesus comes back, there is going to be a lake of fire. I'm going to show you now that it is on the earth. Now, there is an, eventually a, a final, let's say, the lake of fire, like the ultimate final one. Come to Revelation 20, verses 1 to 7, you have the thousand years of Jesus reigning on this earth. Not, not just a, a, a thousand, like a, people use that sometimes to say, well, when it says a thousand, it just means a whole lot, a lot of years. No, no, it says, it does say a thousand, but it also says the thousand. So this is a specific time frame. Thousand years, he rules on the earth. Then Satan is allowed to come out of his prison. He deceives the nations one more time. God rains fire down from heaven, wipes out the enemy. The devil is then thrown into, the, into that lake of fire, verse 10. Get, get verse 11. <clears throat> and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. So that temporary lake of fire that was going to be on the earth that that is shifted the inhabitants of that lake of fire gets shifted look at verse 14 and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death death and hell are going to be cast into the lake of fire so that temporary lake of fire that will be on the earth Jesus referred to that as hell fire in Matthew chapter 5, he, he says if somebody during the time of his kingdom tells his, or calls his brother a fool and doesn't have a good reason, he's in danger of hellfire. They can pick you up, take you out, and literally throw you right into that lake of fire burning on the earth. But then at the end of that thousand years, that hellfire is transferred and cast into the permanent lake of fire. All right, so where does that temporary lake of fire come from? How does it come to be on the earth. Get Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. Joel 2 and verse 1. Now pay close attention here because you and I are in this passage. If you're saved this morning, you're in this passage. You're, you're, you're reading your future here. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations." Guys, the day of the rapture is not a day of darkness and gloominess. That's a wonderful day. And there's no, no darkness or gloominess on that day. But this day, when Jesus comes down to fight the battle of Armageddon, it is described as a day of sorrow and darkness and gloominess. And that's a terrible day because the inhabitants of the earth don't stand a chance. And we come with him. If you're saved, you're part of his army that comes down out of heaven. We will be riding on white horses. I've told you many times, I'm going to have a unicorn because I don't know how to ride a horse. I need something to hold on to. 
I, I told that to Brother Welder while he was here. He said, Brother Mike, if you're holding on to that thing's horn, that means you're seated, you're, you're seated in the wrong place on that horse. That's why you can't ride a horse. I thought, oh, I never thought of that. He said, you might want to just rethink that. So, okay, I'll, I'll rethink it. But here we come. When it says a great people and a strong, that's us. Look, look what it says. There hath not been ever the like. You know why? The body of Christ is a unique thing. You don't find it in the Old Testament. You don't find it in the tribulation. You find it now. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you can be changed and have an immortal body, a glorified body. No one else has that. Not at this point. Not at this point. So he says, There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Verse 3, look at this. Here's this fire. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them. See, it's green. And trees are growing. Bushes are growing. Fruit is growing. All that's there. And behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. As Jesus is coming down, there's fire issuing out before him. And just consuming everything in his path. Verse number four. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. And as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. That's from the soot coming from the ash and the fire that is produced. All right, now come to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. In order to finish on time, we're going to have to move even more quickly now, but I believe you'll see the point. We don't need to dwell too much because these verses just reinforce what I've just been showing you. Psalm 18, verse 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. This is David speaking prophetically about the Lord coming back. Verse 8, there went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. Now we read in other places that he has clouds under his feet. The Son of Man comes with clouds, but they're dark clouds because it's a gloomy day. It's a day of darkness. You see how all this comes together. We get to chapter 50. 50. Psalm chapter 50, verse 1. By going through these verses, I hope it helps you the next time you read through the Bible. Next time you get to these spots, you'll understand where they fit and in what time frame they happen. Psalm 50, verse 1. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. What is that? Zion, that's where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem, that's where the throne of David is. The throne of David is where Jesus sits. When he says God has shined, that's because the ancient of days and the Son of Man right there. That's what they're referring to. Verse 3, our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. That's a fantastically deep verse. 
He'll call to the heavens from above and to the earth. You know what he does? He brings us down from heaven. We're part of the army. But he also resurrects the Old Testament righteous Jews and they become another part of the army. Heaven and earth called to action. Verse 5, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Boy, that's deep as well, but that has to do with how those people in the tribulation achieved a relationship with God. Now verse 6, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, Selah. So this fire raining down from heaven shows how righteous God is. All right, take your Bible, come to chapter 97. Chapter 97, verse 1. Chapter 97 and verse 1. The Bible says, the Lord reigneth. When is that going to happen? Well, it happens in the sense that he's the king of the universe. But one day it's going to happen down here on this earth. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. There's your judgment of the nations. Verse 3, a fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people shall see his glory. Guys, are you seeing how all of these verses connect? Joel and Psalms multiple times. Get Isaiah chapter 34. Did you know that the one event, the one time frame that is talked about the most in the Bible is what we're discussing today? T -t Today's topic, the second coming of Jesus Christ and him taking his spot on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. That is the most talked about thing in the Bible. For you and I, our favorite day is the cross and the resurrection. Yes, the death, burial, resurrection, because that's how we get in. That's our connection to God. So that's our favorite day. That's not God's favorite day. God gave us 48 prophecies about the entire life of Christ. 48. We have over 500 prophecies about Jesus coming back the second time. You can see the emphasis, right? Uh, Isaiah 34, let's get verse number 8. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch. So instead of water cutting through the land, it's burning pitch. And the dust thereof into brimstone and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. No one will ever be able to cross over that lake, that temporary lake of fire. And it, it, is, it doesn't need any help to stay burning. It, it doesn't get quenched. It doesn't need combustible material. It just stays burning. Why? Because God told it to. It issued out from him. So it just, it stays. Come to Nahum. Prophet Nahum, chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1, let's begin at verse 1, um, well, verse 2. Verse 1 is just an introduction. Verse 2, Nahum chapter 1 and verse 2. 
Bible says here, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked, which is to say he won't let it slide. He will eventually punish them. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. So all of this is describing that day when his wrath is poured out, the Bible says in Revelation, without mixture. His wrath is poured out without mixture. What does that mean? It's not mixed with any mercy. Right now, if God punishes you, there's a little bit of mercy in there. If he were to take all the mercy out and give you what you deserve, it's this. It's this. All right, so come back now to Daniel chapter 7. Let me give you one last thought and we'll finish up for the day. Daniel 7 and verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, thousand thousands ministered unto him. All right, let's just do the math here. Thousand, how many thousands? A thousand thousands, right? So thousand thousands, block it off into chunks of thousand, thousands, right? so 1,000 here, 1,000, a thousand times a thousand, you just add up the zeros, it becomes one million. Right, so one million, a thousand thousands ministered unto him. There is Jesus on his throne and there are a million people there saying, can I bring you a book? You need some tea? Would you like, <laughs> they, they, whatever, whatever they are helping with, they are there to help. They are on his side. Does that make sense? But look, look at the next number. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Right, do the math there. 10,000 times 10,000, put all the zeros after the one you have a hundred million. I just think of the ratio. You might look at that and say, well, these are approximate numbers. And okay, I would agree. I, I, I would assume these are approximate numbers, but let's just work with the numbers as they are stated in scripture. A million versus a hundred million. So a million are righteous and on God's side, a hundred million are standing in front of him ready to get judged. That's one out of every hundred one out of every hundred would be saved. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, I'm, I, I, forgive me, I don't mean to, to try to dogmatically say that every hundred people, only one can be saved. I'm not saying that. You just kind of get the sense of the, the ratio here. Straight is the way that leads unto life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in thereat. There's a lot more lost people than saved people. A lot more. All right, now think of this. Time frame. We are talking about people that have survived the calamity of the tribulation time. There are a hundred million people that show up at the judgment of the nations. They are the ones that have to stand at the judgment and you have sheep and goats from the hundred million. Okay? And, and again, if, if I've done the math right, if I understand the context correctly, hundred million. Why is that number significant? Well, Think of where we're at now, the earth's population. We're at 8 billion plus minus, okay? And then as the tribulation unfolds, you read how 
a fourth of the earth gets destroyed and then a third of the men die and another third die. Billions of people die in the tribulation. But if this is correct, and we only have approximately 100 million left to stand before the Lord. That is, they physically survived the tribulation time, the battle of Armageddon, and now they get to physically walk into the kingdom, only 100 million. 8 billion, do the math, 100 million is only 1.25% of 8 billion. That means 98.75% of the people on earth will die during the tribulation time, if that math is correct. Even if it's not, a whole lot of people are not going to make it. We, we at least get the feel for what we're dealing with here. This is going to be, when Jesus said that this tribulation is going to be greater than any other time of tribulation the earth has ever known. Boy, he was not kidding. <laughs> you know the best thing you can do? Get saved right now today before that trumpet sounds. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us to dig deep into our Bibles. And Lord, uh, if nothing else, it gives us a, a, a picture of your majesty, of your power and strength. And Lord, even though you are a God of vengeance, a God of wrath, we also read that you're slow to anger. And we thank you for your long-suffering. The Bible says it is our salvation. You, you've given us a chance even now to repent before these end times come upon us. Please bless the service to come. Continue to meet with us and bless our fellowship now. In Jesus' name, amen.